the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about last night's Democratic uh, nomination process. We're also going to talk about, do you like this new law of possibly pumping your own gas? You're listening to The Common Good. Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Things have been pretty lively on the Facebook page as of late. Thank you for uh, commenting on that. <laughs> on Twitter, <laughs> at Common, what would you like me to add? Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Correct. It has been. Online, 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your That's podcast. That's right. You can find our podcast. I'm sorry. I need to overly affirm now. <laughs> That's how we're going to do today's show. Perfect. Uh, that other voice you hear is Ian Simpkins. I'm Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us uh, today. Let me start with... Uh, this new possible uh, law coming out, uh, going through the uh, Illinois legislature, and it would simply this, uh, it would simply be that you uh, would no longer pump your own gas. So a new bill proposed by a northern Illinois lawmaker bans pumping your own fuel at a gas station. Uh, the synopsis of HB 4571 states, uh, creates the Gas Station Attendant Act, provides that no gas may be pumped at a gas station in this state unless it's pumped by a gas station attendant. If signed into law, motors would have to wait for an attendant. Uh, I find this interesting. You want to know why? There are two states in the union where this is already a law, the state of Oregon and my home state of New Jersey. Oh. So I never pumped gas until I came to college. Wow. Never Did once you know how to? Did mm-hmm. you? I, I needed to learn. It was actually like a really weird experience. Like, yeah. what do you... Uh, and so, uh, so this is how I, uh, I grew up, but something tells me this is just going to cause us to have to pay higher gases, higher gas prices. Uh, probably. Yeah. Did you enjoy it though? Back home? I but I didn't know anything else. So mm-hmm. yeah, you weren't when, so worldly when we go, vi- when we go visit New Jersey now, it's a very weird deal. Cause now you just hand them, they come to your window and you just sit there and you're like, oh, fill it up. And then you hand up your credit card and right. they swipe it. Everything we do now, they do for you. Hmm. But it's literally against the law to get out of your car and do it. Interesting. I met, I saw a couple of people commenting that part of the reason was to prevent drive-offs. Oh. But then I said, wait a minute. I think, I think you have to swipe your card first before it'll even activate the pump, right? Oh, that would make sense. Don't you usually have to pay for the drive-offs thing? To me, I feel yeah. like I haven't seen a gas station with technology where you could pump first without uh, right. giving some kind of... Yeah. The other thing that I heard, though, is that it does uh, potentially provide jobs. More jobs. You know, yep. which is that significant, I think. Yep. But it would certainly... They're going to pass that cost on. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just it interests me because so many people I know, they were like, what? This is the craziest thing. I'm like, no, this is actually how I grew up. Have but, you ever driven away with the uh, the pump still in the car? I have not. Not once? I'm going to sell my wife out here and say oh, she did it one time. Oh, boy. Yeah, have you? I don't think so. Because it pulls now. Like it detaches from the top, right? I don't know. I've never done it. That is, I believe, what happens. They're now made so that they detach from like 
like the hose detaches, so it doesn't like go ripping the thing away. It was happening so frequently that like we need to redesign this hose, guys. This is costing us too much money. I'm going to learn a radio lesson. Bad idea to sell your wife out like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but yes, agreed. You even prefaced it. I'm going to sell my wife out. I'm like, don't no. Don't do Whatever don't, you're going to say, don't stop this, right there. This Wednesday show is off. Just to claim insanity. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I want to talk about here is uh, the the uh, New Hampshire primary last night for the Democratic National, uh, the presidential uh, primary. Uh, Bernie Sanders won, and uh, Pete Buttigieg came in second. Amy Klobuchar mm-hmm. made a run at third. Uh, so I, I want to focus on another part of it, but before I bring this up, that part up, what do you think about just Bernie Sanders winning or how it all played out? Uh, I think it's all pretty interesting. He's, he did not win by as big a margin as he did four years ago, though. That's mm. that's significant. So I think that there's some interesting commentary yeah. there. It's obviously a big victory. I think Buttigieg mm. is still ahead in terms of delegates. Yes. Um, so that's, I don't know. I, I've not paid attention to this process as closely as I have this year. And it's pretty, I'm finding it weirdly fascinating to me. Really? I, yeah. I just didn't, uh, I followed it much more loosely four years ago and I just, maybe because of the show, I find myself reading a lot more and I'm, I'm just engaged more deeply. Yeah. So in general, I'm finding the whole dance kind of fascinating, but, um, yeah, I don't know that I have anything interesting to add to what it. One of though. the things that's fascinating about it, and this is where I wanted to land okay. uh, <clears throat> on this is uh, Elizabeth Warren, who was a front runner early, did very poorly. Yeah. Uh, but Joe Biden, who when he came out, many people were like, you know, I mean, he was Obama's vice president. He's going to kind of be the adult in the room. He's going to kind of sail to the nomination. The in the room. He's going to sail to the nomination. And uh, in some ways, now he's not getting out. And he says there are ones coming up that are really going to benefit him. Uh, but but he got like eight percent last night. Yeah, not great. And uh, and I was reading this article called "The Spectac- Spectacular Collapse of Joe Biden as the Democrats' Front Runner." It's a and little early to say that, though. Don't correct. You think? He could very well win in the national polls. I think, which you know, these are state by state races. But in the national polls, I think that the one I saw, he's still in second place, like this and that. But yeah. But I always take it to just more of a just kind of a personal human uh, emotional level. Like, what must it be like to be the front runner of something, be very confident and now just see it collapsing and everyone's going, what's wrong with you? Right. What must that be like? I was thinking about that today, actually, thinking about Warren and what I mean, I assume you're prepped to some degree to, uh, to I mean, that experience is sort of inevitable. Yeah. Uh, unless you obviously win. But I, I imagine there's some sort of mental, social, emotional preparation going into anything like this where somebody coaching you is like, hey, just brace yourself for some of these ups and downs. The whole thing seems pretty uh, maddening, actually. Yeah. Like every movie, every political movie I've ever seen, I'm like, wow, this is a real roller coaster. But I, I, don't, I mean, I have no idea how big of a... Uh, a player this was, but the uh, the whole lying dog face pony soldier comment. That's crazy. Just a crazy comment, though. It's from a John Wayne movie, Is right? It really? Yeah. I, I didn't know the context. Well, so some of the people defending are like, that's just an old timey phrase. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I, should we? I mean, calling a woman dog face yep. in any era is yep. probably not a good idea. <laughs> probably a bad idea. I did see on Twitter somebody wrote, um, could you imagine if Donald Trump did this, what it would do? And then this person like retweeted an old tweet of Donald Trump's where he calls Stormy Daniels horse face. So, oh you know, gosh. it happens on both sides of the I aisle. I gotta but, get off of Twitter. Uh, there's a good, that, that is the takeaway. I did just think uh, Biden, they said before it even ended last night, he was on a plane to South yeah, Carolina. Now right. there is some thought that I, Biden was never going to do well in Iowa or New Hampshire, but I can't imagine 
I don't know if you remember, it says like 10 months ago when he announced, it was just kind of, I guess we need, what we learn is each of these elections, when it seems like a, a fait accompli that someone's going to win, something's going to happen. Right. Yeah, Hillary Clinton, right. people, you know, who were running against Trump last time. Um, but yeah, when, when he announced 10 months ago, it was like a given, I thought. Yeah. It was kind of like, he's going to win. In fact, they said one of the things that's really hurt him is he's been treating this like a national election and not like going at the other people and kind of trying to stay above them. Like, ah, this is, you guys are below me. Interesting. And that's really coming back against him. I just wonder as he's on that plane or he wakes up today going, man, what's happening? Like yeah. what's going on? Cause he probably thought the same way, you know, Hillary Clinton had everything planned on the election night. Right. It's just gotta be such a huge letdown. Now he has a lot of time to come back, Yeah, but it's just sure. gotta be really weird. I can't really put it towards anything in my own life that would even, Compared to that, it would also be interesting to see Buttigieg, who has historically not done well with non-white voters at all. And uh, I mean, these next few stops for him will be pretty telling. I think that's that's the other part of the strategy that I find interesting is they have to kind of course correct based on not only how they're polling, but also their context and environment and where they are in the rankings and all of that, you know. The nerdy, like risk-loving part, the game, (laughs) that part of my brain is like, yeah, this is pretty fascinating to watch, even if I, you know. Even if I don't totally know what's always going on, but it does feel like a big game. So I would love to know your thoughts on all that was going on uh, in New Hampshire last night. And now on to South Carolina they go. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about a uh, Fox News clip uh, with Jerry Falwell Jr. And something specific Hmm. that he said coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, online, 1160hope.com. Uh, find our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter. And that's where we're going to go for this next story. Uh, so Jerry Falwell Jr., okay? We've talked about him a couple times on this show. Have we? Give us a, give us a, a tease of... What Jerry Falwell Jr., he is the uh, the president of Liberty University, and, and that is always important to bring up because that is, uh, I believe, the largest evangelical Christian college in our country. Hmm. Uh, so when people try to distance themselves from Jerry Falwell, uh, no, for a lot of people, he does he is one of the people who speak for uh, evangelicalism, uh, which always makes me cringe a little bit because Jerry Falwell tends to say stuff that I don't agree with. Hmm. Uh, Falwell, the, the son of Jerry Falwell Sr. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also uh, a, uh, shall we just put it this way, a big fan of President Trump. And uh, really seem, he, he's, he's kind of in that uh, inner circle uh, of President Trump. And all of that by background is important because Jerry Falwell Jr. went on Fox News the other day uh, and was speaking about Mitt Romney. And so the background is Mitt Romney was the only Republican uh, who voted to remove President Trump from office at the end of the impeachment hearings. And so uh, let's just say uh, things are coming down on Mitt Romney, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are going at him. Uh, for one, he wasn't invited to CPAC, which is the conservative um, I don't know, political action committee, whatever it is, that kind of conference. Uh, and the head of CPAC said, I don't think he'd be safe here. That nice. was a big statement. Um, but if you remember in his speech, Mitt Romney, um, and this is background to what we're going to listen to from Jerry Falwell here in a second. Uh, Mitt Romney used his faith. He's a Mormon. 
and he used his faith and his oath before God as really the reason for why he had to do what he thought was right. Mm. Uh, and that was to vote to remove the president from office. And uh, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. went on Fox News the other day and uh, spoke about Mitt Romney and what Mitt Romney said from the floor of the Senate. So let's listen to what Falwell had to say and then react to it. Well, I think he should keep his religion and and his personal life, how he treats other people. And when he took an oath to be a, a senator, he should consider what is impeachable conduct. You know, I said the other night on TV that that the uh, 1990s movie, The Lion King, the animated version, that the Democrats were acting like the hyenas in their impeachment. But also, I think Mitt Romney fits in that movie a little bit because I don't know if you remember the character Scar, the lion who pretended to be a lion. Well, he was a, a lino, I call it. But he, <laughs> but he, he was trying to take over and overthrow the king and he uh, worked with the hyenas to do so. And I think that's what we're seeing. It's, it's just some people have always worn halos to hide their horns. And mm. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that about Romney, but I do know <laughs> that, that Jesus saved, reserved his, his harshest criticism for the Pharisees of his day, the religious elite, who, who he called them hypocrites. He called them uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And... I think I'd have a whole lot more respect for Mitt Romney if he would just say, I'm bitter, I'm angry, not only that Trump beat me, but that the American conservatives have finally wised up and seen through our brand of politicians, professional politicians who, who show how great they are as family people and how, faith, how faithful they are to their church. But when it comes time to vote, they vote with the Democrats. So there's a lot there, right? Sure. There's a lot there. Uh, and I want to start with the very first thing that he said there, that okay. Falwell said, because I think uh, a lot of people believe this, and it's really dangerous at the same time. His first thing that we listened to there, he said, I think he, uh, being Romney, uh, should keep his religion in his personal life. Uh, so Falwell was reacting to Romney uh, using his religion as justification for his vote. Uh, and so he says, I think he should keep his religion on his in his personal life. Thoughts on that? <laughs> thoughts on that? Um, I think you probably already know my thoughts on that. This obviously is tricky. Um, we've had a lot of conversations in the last year about church and state. Mm-hmm. We've probably even changed some of our opinions in the last year based on sure. stuff we've talked about. And that could be anywhere from political religious rhetoric to who should or shouldn't be baking cakes. And everything in between. So, I mean, I, I do want to recognize some of the necessary nuance to this discussion. But um, this sentiment from a Christian college president mm-hmm. is uh, an unfortunate one, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine in my undergrad hearing a evangelical professor say, hey, but none of this has any implications, though, in your professional life. Just make sure all of this spiritual stuff that we're talking about just make sure it stays at home yeah don't let that carry over into any of your public policy or how you love your neighbors or just and again maybe if pressed Falwell would um, backpedal on that statement a little bit I don't know but what we have is the soundbite and I think it it is a really dangerous one because so often I think that is how Christianity 
um, is presented or depicted or received because, oh, it's just about me and buddy Jesus, and I pray a prayer so that my soul, when I die, goes to heaven mm-hmm. rather than hell. Yeah. And that is the summation of about what we're invited into. Missing, I think, the holistic invitation of being resurrection people, which means it has very real implications about how we vote and how we spend our money and how we treat our neighbor and how we look at creation and how we, you know, to say that those things. And maybe he would say, yeah, yeah, worry about all those things individually. Mm. You know, don't uh, serve on a school board or don't let that. Now, it does get tricky because we've also seen some uh, abuses of that where a lot of times like fighting for religious freedom, religious liberty in schools looks more like fighting for Christian liberties mm-hmm, and Christian mm-hmm, freedoms. Mm-hmm. So we have to, you know, be willing to say, okay, if we want prayer in schools, this is prayer for everybody, not yeah. just for the Jesus people. Um, that's where I think sometimes it gets a little tricky. But, yeah, I don't know that Jesus' invitation uh, in any way, from my reading of the Gospels, looks like this individualized, keep-it-to-yourself kind of spirituality. And ironically, it doesn't feel like Falwell himself is keeping his religion to his private life. Oh, like, snap. It, that, that's what seems strange to me. And the other part that seems strange, and uh, I'm going to just tee you up here again, uh, no, is, thank you. Is at the end when he said, uh, because I think it was really telling to maybe how somebody like Jerry Falwell thinks. He said, basically, I'm going to sum up what he said. He said, uh, Mitt Romney looks like a good religious guy, loves his family, goes to church, but then votes with the Democrats. Like those are in. Did, did I hear that correctly? Like those are in incongruous, incongruous, incongruous. I think that one's correct. Incongruous. I think so. Uh, that you that there's a hypocrisy in him because he looks like a good church guy, but then votes with the Democrats. <laughs> that language is really dangerous, is it not? Uh, yeah, I agree. It's unfortunate that we we talked a little bit about um, that article from Preemptive Love and helping to better engage with dialogue with people we disagree with. But the, the yeah, the general subtle and sometimes not so subtle sentiment that you. <laughs> You couldn't possibly love Jesus and align with democratic policies. Uh, that I don't. That feels unprecedented. Yeah. Like I don't feel like in in recent memory I've heard rhetoric uh, nearly that specific. And like what you're saying, the reason I think it's dangerous is because of how div- divisive it is. Um, and I don't, I don't know what a way forward looks like. That's a great o- point. Other than just simply saying, oh, I just think he's wrong there. Yeah. I just I don't. I don't think those – what makes someone a Christian is Jesus, <laughs> not, not who they vote for, vote for yeah. or the party they align with or the neighborhood they live in. Or I, To me, I just can't get around that. And I, I think part of what the subtle implication is like, well, then maybe Jesus isn't really alive in his heart then if he mm. thinks that the Democrats are the right people to side with or vote for or whatever. It's just like the Buttigieg thing we were talking about where the woman's like, I'm a pro-life Democrat. And there's 21 million of us. Do I have space in this party? Yeah. And for Sanders to sort of say, nope. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. Like that's happening on both sides. It feels like 100%. And that's uh, yeah, that's that's troubling. And so we wanted to bring this up because again, <laughs> I think if you listen to the show with any regularity, you know uh, how we kind of uh, <laughs> view our faith in politics. It's not meant to just be our personal life, uh, and neither side of the aisle uh, has. Uh, has the has cornered the market on Jesus. <laughs> and and so these are more nuanced conversations that we need to be willing to have with charity and uh and presuming best intentions. So uh I, 
think this might be the last time we talk politics. Maybe that's it. Are we yeah, done? Sure Have we said all that we've I'm decided sure to say on that? Yep, I feel done. Coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, some organizations doing uh, kind of looking for a new way forward in how to fight uh, hunger and uh, within our culture. That's coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Find us online, 1160hope.com. And as always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. Did you- and we are grateful for it. Did you intentionally not say, go ahead? I did. And I, it had to be intentional. <laughs> I could hear it in your voice. It's in my head. There was like a beat. Like a, <laughs> go ahead. You probably, though, in your defense, that probably shows up in preaching a lot. Like, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Oh, my go, gosh. Now I'm going to think go about ahead that. And open it. No, no, no. I'm saying, no, it's not that big a deal, though. I do. I'm just, I was just kind of busting your chops. Yeah. Yeah. I want to come speak at your church now and just so I can get up and be like, hey, go ahead and thank Ian thank for letting me come here and go ahead and grab your Bibles and go ahead and. Only you would preach out of spite. I want to go preach every week. So that- <laughs> Jonah must have been on? fun for you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back and listen to your Jonah series now with that information. Every week we preach out of spite. Go ahead and open your mouth. <laughs> So uh, you and I are both pastors, as we just alluded to, and we've talked about many times. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. You are at Community Christian Church uh, at the Yellow Box in Naperville. And uh, with that in mind, at Christian Headlines found this article from last Friday. Watered down gospel in U.S. is major concern for 72% of pastors. So let me read a little bit about this and then uh, would love to know your thoughts. Can't wait to share them. The prevalence of a, quote, watered down gospel and the culture's shift to a secular age are leading concerns among Protestant pastors about the Christian church in the United States, according to a new Barna survey. Barna surveyed 547 U.S. Protestant pastors and asked them which issues they believed were a major concern facing the U.S. Christian church. Hmm. Seven issues topped 50%. Watered-down gospel teaching was 72%. Culture shift to a secular age, 66%. Poor discipleship model, 63%. Addressing complex social issues with biblical integrity, 58%. Prosperity gospel teachings, 56%. Reaching a younger audience, 56%. And political polarization in our country was 51%. Three issues topped 40% and almost reached 50%, that being negative perceptions of the church, the diminished influence of churches in the community, uh, and church leader burnout and exhaustion. So Hmm. that's all the background. And you and I have talked in the past that we trust Barna. Barna surveys tend to be a good snapshot, and they tend to do things well. I think so. Uh, So uh, take this either way. Either are you surprised by any of this, or as a pastor, how would you have answered this? Why don't we start by whether or not you're surprised by these results? I'm actually not. I kind of went into this expecting to be surprised. I don't know why I expected that. That's probably a whole other segment. Like, aren't you a pastor, Ian? Why would you be surprised by what pastors are saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually kind of not, with the exception maybe of the first one, to be honest. I don't know that, that. Number one. Yeah, which is an odd thing to say. So, like, the other ones, those percentages and rankings seem about right. Yeah, That one, to me feels a little um, tail wagging the dog, maybe a little Mm. uh, fruit instead of the root. I think that if, you know, like if we have 
a better, more robust execution of discipleship. I think that helps get at some of the gospel issues. But again, we are surveying pastors and pastors do tend to really elevate uh, the preaching component of the job and the function of the church, sometimes maybe higher than it deserves to be. I don't know if I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here, but um, the formation piece for me, I'm always really, really interested in like why and how people actually change. And you know, the obvious answer is the Holy Spirit. But like, what are the other subsets of that question, um, which I think a lot of these percentages get after? I think uh, the polis- the polarization is something we've talked about a lot on this show. Um, even how I mean, some of this I realize is how Barna's phrased it rather than how the pastors have responded. Right. So things like reaching a younger audience. I think even that phrasing for younger audiences is exactly why they're not being reached. They're mm. like, your motive and goal and objective is already off. Like, we don't we don't want to just be reached, you know. So there's probably some stuff I could nitpick in terms of, yeah. like, the language of how it's uh, outlined. But, yeah, I'm mostly not surprised. What about you? Well, the interesting one, number one, being watered-down gospel teachings. Yeah. I wonder if, like, if you took the survey and you put watered-down gospel sur- uh, teachings, would you be talking about other people? Like, would you be like the watered-down gospel yeah, probably, teachings of probably. these people? Because as pastors, that's one thing we have control over uh, yeah. is the teachings. And number three, poor discipleship models, It's that's one thing we have control over. Sort of. That one's different. I agree with you. Agreed. But it's at least something that's at least under our umbrella to think about and try to work on. Um And so that's the interesting one. And uh, I don't know if I were answering this, I probably would have the first one I would have gone to. And this won't surprise people who listen to the show on a regular basis. I probably would have gone for political polarization in the country. Uh, I think that would have probably been my number one um, thing that I would have listed as a concern for the Christian church, because I think there's a lot of difficulty stemming from that. Do you have which one would you have? If they said, what's your number one, if you got this and you were filling out the survey? Number one, for me, is almost always going to come back to discipleship. Mm-hmm. To me, and again, I realize this is tricky coming as someone who preaches a lot. I think all of that is really important. I think a, a, a lot of what we do on a Sunday morning is really, really valuable. Yeah. But if we're not actually helping people biblically, faithfully empowered by the Holy Spirit, be formed by these things mm. seven days a week, then the show can be as great and excellent as you can possibly make it, but it's it's not going to result in the kind of apprenticeship to Jesus that I think we're yeah, called good. to, and I think that's where that happens. Now, a lot of it can be catalyzed in a Sunday morning experience, and that's how a lot of people meet and experience Jesus for the first time. So please, please, please don't hear me say at all that I don't think Sunday's important. I think Sunday is massively important. I just think sometimes we've inverted a little bit of how we overvalue the experience, maybe undervalue how yeah. do we actually form people? Because and kind of to your question, you know, it goes on to say that few of those issues were mentioned as a major problem when pastors were asked to list the major concerns for their own church. Oh, well, there you go. So that's exactly what you're asking. Like, it does seem like the vast majority are saying, yeah, this is an issue out there. Those are my concerns for our neighboring churches, but we're not struggling nearly as much, which I think that's a, that's maybe a whole other segment. Every pastor in church is saying this that's about the other church, but not their own. That's pretty interesting to me. Yeah. I, I don't water down the gospel, but I'm, I'm concerned about all of yeah, you. Who Gary are. up the road. <laughs> oh, poor Gary. Why is I know, it always it's Gary? always Gary and Carl in my head. I don't know why. <laughs> poor Gary. Uh, so, so what is the takeaway from this? I wonder that pastors, I mean, on some level, 
I granted it's odd that they're talking about other people and not themselves, but to say we want better gospel teach, uh, more robust gospel teaching and more robust discipleship, I think is encouraging, even yeah. if there's not answers to that right. uh, necessarily. There's no easy answers, but uh, that seems to be an encouragement that they're going, we see a cultural shift to a secular age. We need be- more gospel and we need better discipleship. I suppose that's that's encouraging. Yeah, to me, what I'm interested in, and I'd love to have, it'd be fun to have some other pastors in to talk about this, because yeah. sometimes I feel like the easy equation is um, we just need deeper teaching, mm-hmm. and the subtext is, um, so I don't have to worry about deeper application. Mm. So if, like, as long as there's more Greek and Hebrew said from the stage, or there's more you know, 301 level, 401 level, then that somehow like appeases for me any sense of responsibility that I I need to actually be living this. Isn't that the, like the famous D.L. Yeah. Moody interaction where he preached the same message like three or four weeks in a row until somebody approached him and said, are you, are you ever going to preach a different message? And he said, man, when you start actually living the message I am preaching, then maybe I'll consider preaching something different. <laughs> like something ki- kind of, it's, that's yeah. snark and that's not what we're proposing, but... I don't, that's for me why I think discipleship formation, apprenticing yeah. Jesus, um, just has to be, has to be near the top of our priorities. That's good. So you can read this on our Facebook page. We'd love to know, uh, what you think of the results coming up next. Uh, how to parent like a minimalist. We're going to discuss that next year on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. Find us on Facebook uh, at The Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk, podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast, uh, online at 1160hope.com. Uh, found this article at... Uh, at a uh, site called nosidebar.com. You did? You did. Oh. <laughs> uh, Danae Barahona is the author's name, if I got that right. How to Parent Like a Minimalist. And before we get into that, um, could you define for our people what a minimalist is? How do you define a minimalist? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of different definitions yeah. floating around. When when, uh, when Katie and I were preparing to move to Naperville, I like kind of obsessively watched like four or five minimalism documentaries um, made next to zero changes in my life, mind you. Um, but like some get really, really specific about how they define it. Like no one, one article asserted that a true minimalist owns fewer than 100 things total. Wow. That's including pieces of silverware Not per room. <laughs> yes, good clarification. Not currently in the backseat of my car. Like, right, like truly 100 yeah. or less things. That's including clothes, silverware, instruments, photos, like less than 100 silverware. things. Wow. So that gets tricky because like, even in terms of how we define what a tiny home is, yeah. that square footage has changed. Or like church world, what you define as mega, that number yeah. is sort of sliding. Yeah. So a minimalist, I don't know that there's like an authoritative, definitive definition of yep. what it is but it's someone who tries uh and succeeds i think to live with minimal uh physical items yep. in their yep. life and this author even expands it a little bit when she says minimalism uh is more than just getting rid of all of your stuff although i'm on that bandwagon it's about filtering out the noise to focus yes. your energy on what's important That's which good. is to a whole nother level because all i've ever heard with minimalism is kind of uh the stuff, get rid of the stuff, get rid of the stuff, which is important because the stuff causes a lot of noise in our lives right, and a lot of right. stress. But it is broader than that. But, but you're it's, right. It's this sense of she seems to be saying of like also finding ways 
uh, to get the noise out. And so she says, fortunately, minimalism has a secret formula for parents. Less is more. Here are some lessons I've learned on my journey towards a simpler family life. So the background is she's got kids trying to go. I'm trying to do life differently than how it all feels around me. Uh, So let's go through this list of I believe it's uh, five ways that she says uh, towards a simpler family life. Why don't you start us with number one? So number one, uh, hover less and your children will live more. That's pretty good. We spend so much time protecting our children, we forget to let them live. When we hover over them and uh, what's that word? Perseverate? Perseverate over safety. Hmm. Perseverate. Hmm. That sounds feels right. like from persevere. Yeah. Sounds made up. Yeah. <laughs> Perseverate. Yeah. When we do that over safety, over fears, uh, our fears can undermine a child's confidence. These fears rob them of their independence. Instead of hovering, let's instill a sense of responsibility and natural curiosity for the world. Allow your children to live life to the fullest, even if that means climbing to the top of the jungle gym without a spotter. Like, I can already feel my anxiety rising yes. like thinking about that. Like, my boy feels super confident walking up steps right now, and he should not feel confident nope. because he's not very good at it. <laughs> so he's got this sort of, like... Caution into the wind. I'm like, yeah, you're about to fall down 12 steps, though, man. You got You should be a little, a little more cautious. cautious. A little yeah. caution. And we've gotten this in the past about all, like, the snowplow parents, the lawnmower parents, right, the right, right. helicopter parents, right. and uh, all of that. So, uh, real fast, perseverate. Repeat or prolong an action, thought, or utterance after the stimulants that prompted it was has ceased. Okay. I'm just mostly happy that you also didn't know it. Nope, I didn't know it. Okay, perfect. No idea. Number two, entertain less and your children will innovate more. Hmm. In many ways, Pinterest is a trap. The abundance of art, craft, and activity ideas that abound leave us feeling as though we need to do more to entertain our kids. Wouldn't it be easy if we could just flip a switch and provide unlimited entertainment for our kids? Oh, wait, we can. We can limit screen times for our kids. (laughs) When we provide endless varieties of entertainment for our children, we leave them with very little opportunity to create and explore new ideas on their own. So hear me out. Follow my lead and skip the Pinterest activities. Then cut back on the screen time. Let your kids be bored. Give them space. The innovation that results will astound you. That's pretty good, man. Number three, schedule less and your children will rest more. As humans, we need to rest our bodies and minds. This is particularly true of small bodies that are growing and maturing rapidly. Research shows us that childhood anxiety is a rising epidemic in this generation. A child who grows up with anxiety is significantly more likely to be plagued with mental health challenges Mm. throughout their adult years. Do you know what our children need? Rest. Do you know what we need? Rest. Stop making rest a luxury. Make it a priority. The mental and physical health of your family depends on it. Again, so and hard. Easier said than done because we could read this and go, yes, amen. Sure. Okay, I need to run from here, though, to my next thing. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or our kids, like what we talked our about kids, earlier exactly. about like exactly. homework right. and all this stuff. It's This is a hard one. Like This really requires some work. Number four, isn't that weird? Like in our in our day to day world, rest requires work. Yeah, and that's right. Really hard. Right. Number four, referee less, and your children will probably will, will problem solve more. As parents, we wear many hats. One hat we need to hang up is that of the referee. Hmm. Parents have the tendency to jump in and solve any disputes and challenges that children come across. It's easier to be the referee than watch two kids awkwardly settle their own disagreement. It's easier to jump in and help them uh, and help than wait 10 minutes for a kid to fumble through shoe tying. Hmm. After you hang up that hat, get comfortable sitting on the sidelines in silence. Kids need a lot of practice to learn how to problem solve. So let's give them many chances to do it for themselves. You know what I find interesting, too? That one actually is weirdly connected to the rest one because I could I could see myself 
saying to my kid, I don't have time for you to figure out the shoe tying thing because we're late to this next thing. Yeah, and why am I late point. to it? Because I said yes to too many things. We're yeah. overscheduled. So I'm, I can't give you space to actually problem solve because dad overscheduled us. We don't have this because space, dad's yeah. an overachiever and <laughs> says yes to everything. You know, like they all do kind of link together, connect in a pretty interesting way. And then number five, buy less and your children will seek more. Research shows that clutter is associated with higher levels of stress in families. Have you yelled at your kids to clean up their rooms recently? If your home has less inside, it's easier to clean up. It's easier to take good care of fewer things. You know it doesn't have a long-term impact on a child's happiness? The latest hit toy. Buy your child less, and as a result, they will be able to better filter out the noise and focus on the important things. Studies tell us that family vacations and togetherness have a long-term impact on a child's happiness. Let's teach our children to value stuff less and experiences more. What are you doing less of to help your kids get more out of life? So I like this because it is it wasn't just about physical stuff. It yep. is about clearing out, you know, space to kinda lose some of the noise in our lives. And yep. I think again, easier said than done, but a really important call. And I'm sure your kids are that age now where you're starting to learn that lesson, like, wow, we uh, they desperately wanted this toy and we right. thought about it and we went and bought it and like now they never play with it. And you just are reminded. Uh, it's something you and I talk a lot about, this whole concept of experience over stuff. Uh, sometimes you got to talk your kids through that to help them understand that. Uh, but buying less and your children will seek more or just the value of the family vacation, the family experience right. uh, is is really important. It's interesting, man. These are these are really important for the age that your kids are at. Also really important for the age my kids are at. It right. just looks different, but still equally as important. Well, let me read how she begins this article. Yeah. Reverse engineer, because I think it's actually pretty brilliant. It says when I was pregnant with my first child, I had big ideas. I wanted to give my children the world. Like most new, mar- most new parents, I had the best of intentions. Every generation wants to give their children more than they had themselves. My intention was no different. I wanted to give my children more, more love, more protection, more opportunities, more toys, more, 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 more. This desire for more was rooted in love. After I had children and they began to grow, there was a shift. This desire for more became rooted in fear. If I didn't play with them enough, would they be happy? If I didn't mm. stand at least uh, two feet from them at all times on the playground, would they f- fall? I didn't. Uh, if I didn't land a spot in the top preschool, would their education be impacted? In the words of Aaron Luckner, no one ever told me how much fear is hidden in love. Wow. All this fear camouflaged as love quickly started to take a toll on me, trying to be everything and do everything for my children left me depleted, hmm. which I think is a, is a brilliant way to kind of begin this setup as to why we often are so addicted to yeah. more. Um, that fear camouflages love, man. That I got, that's a line that's going to stick with that's me. How, how do you better? Right how do you better weed that out? That's a really good line. Uh, yeah, we hope this has an impact on you, like it's had on us. Yeah, uh, because minimalism can sometimes just feel like get rid of stuff. Yeah, right. But it's it's a much deeper than that. So, uh, we're glad you joined us for this first hour. Hope you stay with us here on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that 
I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrive and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Coming up this hour, we are going to talk about Jesse Smollett, and we are also going to talk about a man who is suing the NFL for a lot of money for a very interesting reason. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday evening. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, and you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. By the way, uh, did not do Alexa the whole of my homework, but did you see that somebody wrote us a message on our Facebook page going, it works when you do. Now people are doing my homework for me. It's like high school all over well, again. Well, she said it works for the uh, live broadcast. We still don't know if it'll get you to the podcast. Oh, is that what I'm supposed to be yeah. doing? Yeah. Yes. There was a window into my high school soul there when I said someone else was doing my homework for me. <laughs> mm, is that a thing? It probably was back then. But Just file that into things homeschoolers didn't experience. <laughs> mom, can you do my homework? Yeah. <laughs> trying to cheat with your mom? <laughs> She's like, I'm the teacher here. This is not going to work out well for you. Oh, and so... Uh, yeah, but again, like, you know, the sun comes up every day. I forgot to try out Alexa again mm, yesterday. I, I just, Tonight's that's, the night. Is it? Probably not, but I'm going. I'm going to keep giving out that hope because hmm. this is hope for your life. Oh. Hope that nope. I will. <laughs> but at what point does hope just become foolish, Brian? <laughs> just, just straight <laughs> misplaced despair. Misplaced hope. You're, you're straight despair. Misplaced hope. All right. We're going to play uh, a, a, here's the question. Funny or not funny? Oh. Ready? So teen pranksters... Uh, they did a prank on the uh, New York City subway. It says teen pranksters pretend to spill coronavirus on the end, on the New York City subway. <laughs> Two te- uh, uh, not yet, maybe not. Two teens. Here's the here's the background. Two teens dressed in full body hazmat suits pretended to spill a vat of the coronavirus on a packed Big Apple subway, leaving strap hangers screaming as they fled in terror. The pair. I can see what John thinks. Yeah, the no pair, kidding. identified by Insider as Queen, Queen's Pranksters, they're known as pranksters, okay. Uh, David Flores and Morris Cordowell initially sat calmly in their protective get-ups while holding a clear container with red liquid. I hope that's Kool-Aid, one passenger said. Is that coronavirus? The teens <laughs> both gave a thumbs-up signal by te- while telling the strap hangers they were good, soon eliciting screams as they removed the lid of the box plastered with warning stickers, they then pretended to fall on the floor, spilling the liquid that quickly spread across the subway. Ian Simpkins, yeah. funny or inappropriate or both? Yeah, I was going to say, is both an option? <laughs> <laughs> that one seems like it crosses a line. Yeah, I thought that you might feel that way. Well, we're talking the coronavirus there. We're not, though. We're talking Kool-Aid. <laughs> Good point. Now, if they had the actual coronavirus and that is a prank, we're spilling that all over the not subway. Not funny. That'd be not funny. Yes, agreed. I wonder if this is if this starts to get towards yelling fire in a crowded theater. Now, is there any report of like people harming themselves or harming think, others trying to get out of the... I think people went running. Obviously, they're on a subway, so they can't get anywhere, but right. it 
created a little bit of a hysteria, but all right, so you're going funny with a mix of a little bit over the line. Yeah, I don't even know that I feel great about that. I'm just trying to be honest. I'm just trying to be honest. When I read this, my first thought was, I'll bet you Ian thinks this is funny. You're also talking to the guy that used to uh, stage fake kidnappings with his friends. <laughs> oh my gosh, you told me this story. Yeah, so I'm probably the wrong barometer for what is or isn't. I wouldn't do it now for what that's worth. Remind me, did the police once come to one of these fake they kidnappings? They sure did. They pulled me over. Uh, guns drawn. Yeah. Guns drawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the cop walked up to the van too. So I had my buddy, you know, that in the back that we had pretended to kidnap, and but he didn't know it was a pretending kidnapping. Yeah, everyone was in on it. Yeah, oh, including the kid. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 We weren't like showing up. We would like have them pretend to be shopping and then walk out of the store. And I'd come flying up in a van. I'd have friends in the back with ski masks on uh, that would jump out of the van, uh, grab the friend that knew was going to happen, and then we so take off. This was more to scare the people in the store in the Not parking lot. Not to scare. That makes it sound nefarious. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, the say? cop, the cop, you know, was came to the window and was, you know, all high alert. And um, I was kind of laughing because I was a dumb sixteen year old, and I was like, "Sir, it's just a prank. It's just a joke. It's just me, me, and my my friends, and my buddy in the back started screaming, "Sir, it's not a joke. Please get no, me out of he here, didn't. please." Yeah, and that really elevated everybody to a whole different level. So we all. Had to get out of the van, and you know it was not that far from my house. So people from our church are driving by, and they're watching me get pat down. And st- <laughs> yeah, it was not. <laughs> How did they get convinced to finally let you go? Oh well, because my buddy eventually, like he got, okay. he's like, okay, we actually are friends. I was kidding. <laughs> yeah, I bet you if you got the wrong cop, they would have taken you in just to make a point. Oh, because for, I have other stories um, for a different day. <laughs> We're gonna do one a day. Nah, that's, that's not a good it. idea. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, speaking of breaking the law, the other story we wanted to bring up was uh, Jesse Smollett. Uh, yesterday, he was indicted over false hate crime attack by special prosecutor. I forgot about this story. We talked about this. We did. For like two weeks. It felt like every couple days uh, back in, I don't know, when we first started the show, last uh-huh. like a year ago. Yeah. So let me read to you just what happened yesterday. Over a year after claiming he was attacked on the cold streets of Chicago, uh, Jesse Smollett on Tuesday was indicted by a special prosecutor in the case that the former Empire star probably thought was behind him. The move by Special Prosecutor Dan Webb will find Smollett back in court in Chicago on February 24th to face criminal charges and potential jail time over the widely covered January 29th, 2019 incident. Uh, With time behind bars, again, a possibility. Smollett was indicted today on six counts of disorderly conduct by a Cook County grand jury over falsely reporting the assault. So if you don't remember this story, you remember Smollett... Uh, it was a nasty story where he said he was he was out late in Chicago and that he got jumped and yeah, there, was, right. there was a very racially charged attack. Yep. Uh, and then slowly it really seemed to appear that he staged it uh, for publicity and for whatever other reason that somebody does this. And uh, he got let off and that was a big deal. Um, but uh, is he off empire? I think he's off empire. Mm. His career is probably gone, but, uh, did this surprise you to see this come back around to see that that, uh, he's facing charges here? It does say that if he'd been convicted on all 16 counts last year, he could have faced nearly 50 years in state prison. That is pretty wild, but I don't know. It sends a kind of a clear message the part that frustrated me. I mean, obviously the whole story frustrated me. Did we report on the initial, um, breaking of the story? think we did this is i'm looking at january 29 is our first month that we were together yeah but i think we held off on the initial story and then it came out that you know there's some allegations that this might be staged and i think we were sort of okay so maybe uh, maybe there's some wisdom in waiting on that one but it just yeah, it bums me especially here in chicago like it's yes. like the there's enough 
um, actual violence and heartache and division and racism to, to, to generate something that wasn't real feels so disingenuous and so toxic and so unhelpful. Mm. Uh, and I don't, I mean, he doesn't really issue a statement here, does he? No. And as a reminder, it cost the city of Chicago hundreds of thousands right, of dollars right, that's the other in the part. initial investigation. Right. That lawsuit remains ongoing. They're suing him back. And it does say here that Smollett, except in the odd photo in the background, is not a part of Empire anymore uh, for this reason. I don't know. what I remember last year when this started to unwind going, man, I hope he gets thrown in jail in about 50 years. But, like, playing off what scares so many people, so many stereotypes of our city. Right. But then also, how many people are scared that you're going to be walking, you know, at 2 in the morning in the right. city and get jumped for no reason? Uh and then on top of it, playing into the racial scares of people like uh, uh, white, you know, white supremacists trying to take out a black guy walking around the sea. I mean, it was everything that is uh, that people, not everything people fear, but a lot of the on the list of what people fear. And I remember when it came out that he staged it or allegedly staged it, like being like, that is, I can't think of many worse things you could do. And for what purpose other than some publicity or something. Hopefully he gets some of the mental help he needs as well. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, anyway. So I just wanted to bring that story back up and just say, you know what? Uh, Keep an eye on it. Like, uh, my thought is at least there'll be repercussions, hopefully, for what he did. And then also, Kim Fox was the prosecutor, the special prosecutor, who just kind of, it looked like he was going to get indicted, and then she let him off. And uh, there was this and that. So what we learned from this segment, we we learned... uh, be careful about staging attacks. It'll eventually catch you up, Hugh, and uh, that you think it's funny to stage a uh, a coronavirus attack on a subway. Hmm. I don't yeah. think I quite said that, but all right. It feels, uh, that feels good about this segment. I felt like we learned a lot. No? Okay. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say about the Jesse Smollett thing or about the coronavirus prank. You can do so at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. And again, our podcast Wherever it is, you get your podcast. Coming up next, we are going to talk about uh, an interesting story uh, that talks about a more holistic approach to fighting hunger. That's coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, Glad to have you joining us today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Twitter at Common Good Talk. At Common Good Talk, you can find us online, 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our uh, our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Did I at least say it nicely? I, I'm not, I wasn't saying that you were not saying Just it nicely. Go ahead. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> now it feels shaming. <laughs> Now it's like telling your kid to go back and clean their room or something. And hopefully soon on our Facebook page, uh, while Ian and I are not in possession of them yet, we uh, apparently we've got uh, hooded sweatshirts. Uh, I think you just call them hoodies. Hooded hoodies. sweatshirts okay. sounds like. As one who wears one every day. <laughs> do you call them hooded sweatshirts? No, now that you say that, I do not. <laughs> I do not. Well, we're going to go see a motion picture later today. <laughs> I saw an advertisement on the television. Added to my list of sounding old. Them kids wearing them hooded sweatshirts. Did you get the phone call I gave you on the telephone? <laughs> I drove all the way to your establishment in my automobile. Right, I'm done. I can't. So I, somebody swore that this was a true thing when I saw this on Twitter. So it's I'm always swore. true on Twitter. 
or Facebook, one of the two, somebody said that their mom, uh, so their mom is like uh, in their 70s or in her 70s or something. Yeah. And this person, people were writing back like, this can't be true. And they were like, I promise you this is true. Said that their mom wrote, uh, texted her and said, I can't find my phone. <laughs> no. Yes. I, I will say this, though. This just came up a couple weeks ago. I was walking around. I don't know if you ever like have your phone on speaker. And just walk around. I I walk. I don't pace when I talk. Yeah. So I had it on speaker. I was talking with somebody, and they were saying something that I wanted to like write down on my phone. So I'm walking around on my phone on speaker, and they said, "Okay, uh, here's the address." I said, "Hold on, let me uh, let me grab my phone." <laughs> and the person was like, "Aren't you talking on your phone?" I'm like, "I am. I am talking on my phone." Yes. yes. I time for a nap. <laughs> uh, uh, that's really funny. Uh, you're not the guy who speaks on uh, talks on the speaker phone like in a public place, like a coffee shop, are you? Oh, no. Absolutely I don't, not. I don't get those people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Is that a grinds my gears? It really should be. Really? I should, I should save that. Because, yeah. I mean, it's weird, but it doesn't bother me that much. Guy sitting in coffee shop nah. on, his cell, on his speakerphone? I have headphones in anyway. Oh, it drives me up a wall. Did you put it in your headphones? Drives me up <laughs> a wall. I want to be like, turn around and be like, uh, we're here too. Or to start talking to the person. Now, if that phone. were like during a movie or something, that'd be different. Like, I'm here to watch a movie. But I, if I can put my headphones in, it doesn't bother me. Or they could put their headphones in. <laughs> yeah, they're still going to be talking loudly. Or they could step. Okay. Yep, that's a grind my gears. <laughs> yeah, come I can back. feel the temperature rising. Yes, in exactly. Exactly. Uh, anyway, there was uh, an interesting article, an informative one, uh, you found at a blog called feedmore.org. That's feedmore.org. And it's titled this, A More Holistic Approach to Fighting Hunger. Uh, And it says, with the help of the members of our agency network, we're working on a new approach to fighting hunger in a more holistic way. Uh, On Monday afternoons, you'll find uh, Josh Rocket, the outreach coordinator. of. I know him. Do you really? Yeah, I mean, that's that's how I found the article. Oh, okay. (laughs) Someday we're just going to list on a whiteboard the number, literally the number of people you know and the number that I do. And I think it's like exponentially more. You know so many people. I'm sure it's the same. (laughs) Josh like, Rocket. Josh Rocket's the real deal, though. He's awesome. And he has an awesome name. Yes. Josh Rocket. Just, he should be a superhero. He's just an awesome person. He really, <laughs> he, he really honestly is. And he plays music, and he's kind, and he's generous. And... That's great. Anyway, so St. Stevens, where he uh, is part of, has been a member of Feedmore's agency network uh, and has recently joined their new initiative to help fight hunger in a more holistic way. Uh, thanks to generous grants. Uh, feed more are they're working together to learn more about the social detri- uh, uh, determinants of health, the situational and environmental factors that people grow up with, work and live in, and how those factors influence hunger. Uh, they say uh, our goal is to help break the cycle of hunger and poor health. Hmm. People who are food insecure. That's a fascinating phrase. Mm-hmm. Food insecure are at an increased risk for chronic diseases. 33% of those who use food pantries live with someone suffering from diabetes and 58% of somebody with high blood pressure. No kidding. Uh, Patients at two of these health clinics are now being screened for food insecurity. And those that are identified as needing assistance receive resources, including a referral to Feedmore's Hunger Hotline. From there, Feedmore's compassionate staff and volunteers help the individual get connected to a designated member of their network. And so basically the point is it is a more holistic approach in where uh, doctors and hospitals are working with food pantries, are working with other agencies 
to not just provide food, yeah. uh, but to try to take, uh, how do we get people from food insecure? Is that a phrase you've heard before? Yeah, we were actually just talking about this. So I was preaching at our Lincoln Square location on okay. Sunday, and uh, they partner with uh, something called, I think it's called the Friendship Center. So they were explaining for me to make a, some mention of it in the message, and I was reading the description on our website, yeah. and it said food insecure. And and I just sort of honestly showed my ignorance. I was like, can you, I don't. Can you help me with that? I legitimately yeah. thought it was a typo. Like, is this a typo on the website? And they're like, no, that's how we talk about it. And I was like, well, educate me. I would love to. Yeah, that's cool. And like everyone on the team there in Lincoln Square was both very familiar with it and able to explain it. And uh, it was fascinating because I, I felt like I was completely out of the loop on that one. And so I had the opportunity. Not anymore, but for a couple of years, I served on the board of uh, the West Suburban Community Pantry out oh, here whoa. in the western suburbs. Nice. And, you know, I don't know what really I added to it. Our, our church did work with them, uh, but it really added a lot to my life to be able to uh, watch people um, at this food pantry kind of, at, at you know, on the, on the ground level of trying to help people. Uh, and I remember th- talking to some people who were using the pantry and it just hitting me. And we know this, but we don't know it till we're kind of confronted with it. Right. That there are legitimately people even out in the suburbs. And I say that a little tongue in cheek, right? Like we know that. But sometimes we think this is, you know, all the poor people live here or there and not yeah. in Naperville or Downers or whatever. Uh, but- I've heard people even refer to uh, the uh, homeless in Naperville as the invisible homeless. I remember spending some time at the pantry and just – the burden I felt for people as they described, like, uh, one, a little bit of the shame they felt in right. having to use the pantry, but two, that these were people, like, that you come across every day that are in your churches and your schools and all this other stuff. Hmm. And just the burden that it was week to week to find food. Right. And uh, that gave me this idea of, like, this cycle. These were people who had jobs. Mm-hmm. These were people who had houses. They might have lost their jobs so that they were in a bad spot or whatever. Uh, but this concept of food insecurity, I think, is such a powerful way to speak of it uh, because it's not people looking for free handouts and free bags of food. It's people who are like, listen, I'm doing all I can to get on my feet and thank you for this pantry, but I don't want to be using this either. Right. And I just found that. I remember my heart feeling so burdened, like, oh, my gosh, this cycle is so hard to break for people. When I mentioned, Did I mention yet that we last weekend or two weekends ago – uh, each of our locations chose like a ministry in their own city or town, and we gave the first ten percent of the offering oh, to that ministry. And so we, it was really fun because we got to actually, you know, go and present this check. That's cool. So we chose the Aurora Interfaith Food Pantry, and just a quick Google search. They, I mean, they uh, every, last year and every year for the last ten years um, distribute something between three point five and three point seven million pounds of food to twenty thousand families. Yeah. Forty percent of whom are um, are children. Like, like those numbers are a lot of people, and that's just one ministry in Aurora. Like, that's the need is so great, and I think what what Rocket and others like him are doing and really starting to shed the light on is how do we think more systemically about? Yeah, yeah the the food is actually obviously a very necessary part of it, but how can we get a more holistic uh, strategy in place so that it's not just continuing to yep. oh here's another meal, but um, you you still feel as stuck as you did yesterday, right. and I think people like him and organizations like Feed More are doing really tremendous work. That's awesome. I remember when I was on at the food pantry, we did a tour of uh, I think it was called right the Northern Illinois Food Bank, where like a lot of the stuff comes out of to these uh, pantries, and the amount of food in there was just 
it was mind blowing. And, uh, and so we wanted to highlight this, uh, just to get your minds out there working. Like if you are food insecure, like there are places that can help, but also, um, yeah, uh, go to some of these places or, or connect to some of these places that might be with a more holistic approach. But beyond that churches or, or just individuals out there, like there are places that need our help, need our donations, yeah. uh, that might need assistance. Uh, so make a pick up your phone, or uh, if you don't know how to use your phone, get on their website and and see if there's ways that if you know how to use a phone. Is a website a, is Good that point. the next? Ah, who knows? <laughs> Coming up next, we are uh, going to go from what was a little bit uh, of the need and the deep to the ridiculous. Uh, a Christian man is suing the NFL for a particular reason. We're going to discuss that next year on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Okay. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, go ahead and find our podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, you can find that uh, wherever it is you get your podcast. Oh, can you ask Alexa? So here's what I was going to tell you. <laughs> So I was over at my parents' house last night. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a story, uh, isn't it? A little bit, because it's going to try to cover me for the fact that even though I wrote Alexa on my hands, I didn't try it at my house. Mm-hmm. But my parents did tell me, because they are faithful listeners. Oh, they really? are very faithful oh. listeners. Oh, uh, well, thank you so much for the listening. They said, uh, they said, you know, we listen on Alexa every day. And I said, oh, oh, great. That answers the question. And then I forgot to do it at my own house. It doesn't totally answer, though. Can you just tell Alexa, play the common good? I would guess so, but I'm... I would guess so. <laughs> I found a little bit of the answer to our issue, but oh, I forgot to God. find it out completely. <laughs> you have one in your house. You're getting, a, you're getting a glimpse into the frustrations that my wife deals with <laughs> in our marriage. What are the oh, other I areas? meant to do that. I forgot. Oh, I meant to. You literally tattooed get milk in reverse on your forehead. <laughs> so forgot you to look in the, the mirror. mirror right? <laughs> it is true. So, so I, I, moved the ball, I moved the ball forward a little bit. But, uh, You're all about celebrating the little things, aren't you? Small <laughs> victories that lead to bigger victories. Oh, my goodness. Well, the saga continues. Oh, yes, yes. Anyway, uh, speaking of ridiculous, here's where we go. We're something from the hook site, but it was this was all over the place. It's just the hook. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It comes up as the hook site, but it's just called the hook. Okay. Yeah, oh, that is staring, the top corner there. That is staring right at me, the hook. Right next to the hook, it says Alexa. I so I, I, can so see, cool. I can see how you missed it. So that's how websites work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, every now and then we come across articles that make us cringe because, you know, they make us look bad when people uh, link us, all of us Christians together. Let me read you the headline. Christian man, I love that, just called Christian man. Hmm. Christian He's man. A superhero. He is suing the NFL over its halftime show. Sure. Christian man wants to sue the NFL because Jennifer Lopez and Shakira's halftime show could keep him from, quote, getting into the kingdom of heaven. Huh. Uh, he, it says, for one man, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira's joint halftime uh, stint or strip club performance, in his words, could be sending him straight to hell come judgment day. Hmm. Uh Personally, anyway, we're going to go past some of the uh, parts here. Accordingly, <laughs> uh, Christian activist Dave Debenmeyer is concerned that because he viewed the live performance, 
Uh, there may be some issues with him getting into heaven as compensation for eternal damnation. Dobbenmeyer wants to sue the National Football League and Pepsi, who sponsored this show, for, quote, about $867 trillion. I like the uh, about in there. I go. Just rounding up. Uh, and then the person, the author writes, am I the only person who pictures Dr. Evil raising his pinky to his mouth every time I read a sum like that? <laughs> uh, so it goes on to talk about, in a snarky way, why is he suing the NFL Uh that it was discriminatory. So I want to say two things to this. Okay. Here are my two things. One, uh, as I've read and read and read, and I actually had a wonderful talk with somebody in our church hmm. uh, about this, just saying, hey, uh, I, I was really excited. She was like, hey, I'd love to talk to you more about the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, but just reading, I, it's caused me to read more articles about it. I actually think that the longer I go, the more the more I think that the Super Bowl halftime show was um, – uh, the more of a problem I have with it. Oh, interesting. I do, and and I know there are a lot of people out there who are like, whatever. Didn't uh, didn't uh, the Maroon Five guy do have no shirt on last year? Uh, but I think uh, increasingly, my feeling is, man, we talk out of both sides of our mouth hmm. uh, with um, uh, empowering women, and then having a show like that. And I get it; it makes me again sound old to some people, or this or that. It's just what I feel. I, I know enough people uh, who struggle um, with with various things, uh, whether it be body image or um, lust or whatever else, that that halftime show, for me, went over the edge. You can disagree. I understand that people disagree. Uh, but secondly, this guy's not doing Christian men any favors. <laughs> he's not mm. doing Christians any favor. And I get it. He's looking for publicity, and he's looking to make a point. But sometimes we're our own worst enemies when it comes to our culture. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies that when people read headlines like this, uh, they think that all of us feel this way and that we can't get out of our own way. And that sometimes I think, man, I understand why people who aren't Christians look at Christians and go, mm. man, your people are ridiculous or you're this or that. And so I think, I think you can hold both of those things there. Uh, but, man, this guy. I just want to say this guy and his $867 trillion uh, isn't doing us any favors. So do you, what are your do, thoughts? Do you think anyone is um, reading this thinking good for him? Uh, I think that there probably are some people going good for him raising that this halftime show may have crossed a line. Hmm. Uh, but he, I don't know, man. This guy's just grandstanding and looking at uh, – <laughs> Obviously, he knows he's not going to win $867 trillion. Right. If he does, more power to him uh, than the NFL. So obviously doing better than I thought they were. Um, I do think there's an important discussion to have, and I had it with one of my kids the other day, about uh, the Super Bowl halftime show and what is appropriate and what is art and what is not. Uh, and and that, that, good, that good people can disagree about what was on there. Right. Um, but I think we can all agree that this guy uh, is not doing us any favor. So what did you think when you read this article about this guy? Oh, I mean, the article, it's from the hook. So it's not, you know, from the Wall Street Journal. or It's it's meant to be. completely un, uh, I have never even heard of the hook. I think that's fine. You okay. should, Am I better off for that? You should sleep just fine for that. <laughs> yeah. So it's meant to be, I mean, you know, we'll share it to the Facebook page if it's not already there. And I'm sure it'll. it's going to be. It's meant to be absurd. Gotcha. It's an actual thing, though, uh, as best I can tell. Which, again, like you said, it I did is see the story in other places. Yeah, so this guy's actually doing this, right? Right. So that's a bummer because, like you said, it is often you know 
there's a reason Christian man is included in the title, not just man. Yes. Um, Good which point. Which does sometimes feel like, well, shoot, any reason to make the Christians look nuts. But sometimes we do it to ourselves, don't yeah. you think? And it's sort of like – This feels like one of those instances. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it totally apples and oranges. But I remember when everyone was talking Westboro Baptist Church stuff and I would have friends who were not necessarily like team church would say like, yeah, aren't they on your team? Mm. And I was like, no, no, How do I explain to you yep. what what we stand for and what they stand for? Although both, I guess, technically under the umbrella of Christian, yep. we could not be more different. If you're, if you don't know, you're like, okay, well, they say Christian, they have a church, so how, you know, oh. how would I know? That's that part is is frustrating to me because we tend to glorify, or at the very least, give press to those who are the most extreme, mm-hmm. and then it feels like some of us probably the majority of us who live somewhere in the middle space are like, no, that's not re- that's not really how we yeah. feel about this or yeah. that. And that's part of the trick, you know, because the church is God's plan A and there's no plan B. So like what do we <laughs> – how do we – I think that's why ecumenism and unity is so difficult yeah. because what maybe seems like not that big a deal – theologically, doctrinally, to someone else could be a huge deal. Like, no, I can't reach across the aisle if yeah. you believe this or you hold to this position or you don't feel this way about communion or preaching or the church or missiology or ecclesiology. And I think we get more and more kind of hunkered down in our our little individual camps yeah. and stuff like this certainly doesn't help that. Yeah, I like I, when I read stuff like this, I go, oh, yes, we're not to be of the world, Jesus, but he says, I'm sending you into the world. And sometimes we have to give thought to what do our ridiculous statements, what do our Facebook posts, what do our whatever, yeah. uh, what do they do to our general witness, right. right? Like even within the church, we can look at an article like this and be like, man, that's even funny or that guy's not – he doesn't represent me. But we did – you know, uh, earlier in the show, we talked about Jerry Falwell. He's somebody else who represents to our greater culture Christianity. And we just have to realize that and understand that – uh, sometimes, like we said, we're our own worst enemies yeah. uh, in in what we uh, uh, how we are perceived within our culture. Like if our culture is going to like think we're ridiculous, let's let them think we're ridiculous about the right things. But that's the problem. Not everyone agrees on what the right things are. Totally though, you know? And that's where it gets tricky. But I think we can agree this one was not the right thing. Well, the, yeah, certainly sometimes the universe just gives you a slam dunk. Okay, we can all collectively say not this. One we can have unity around. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and so, again, the article's ridiculous, but uh, so is that guy's move. Speaking of ridiculous, uh, we are going to talk uh, interweb insanity, crazy stories that our producers found on the Internet. That's what we're going to do next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of peaked with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no 
strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing and one thing only. It's time for Interweb Insanity, where we read stories uh, sight unseen that our producers have found. Wait, sight unseen? You and I have not seen them. Sight unseen for us. No, we have not. Oh, this is risky. And so (laughs) every day we feel it. Yeah, geez. Uh, So we are going to read these stories, and uh, they are hopefully funny. Maybe a little bit uncomfortable at times, mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm, probably mm-hmm. less ridiculous than the story we referenced last segment, but we're going to give it a go. So I wonder if that's in here. That'd be funny. That would be funny. So why don't you go first? Why don't I go first? Because I, I said you should. You didn't say I should. Uh, why don't you? That's what I just said. Who's on first? Oh, boy. Here, <laughs> let's do this for six minutes. Uh, out of Pennsylvania, a woman leaves a nasty note after her car was broken into. Valerie Sloan is making it clear that you shouldn't mess with her things. Earlier this week in Brookline, someone broke into her car that was parked in the alley behind her home. She did not call the police, but instead decided to write a note for the thief. While her message may have been a little harsh, one of the neighbors agrees with her. Jim Skiff spoke with KDKA's Royce Jones and mentioned that he had problems with uh, with theft in the past. Brookline has had more automobile thefts than any other neighborhood in the city over the years, I've heard, said Skiff. Whoever broke into the car didn't get much, but for Valor, she says it's just the principle of it. We lose more than they gain. They're not gaining much, and I realize they're struggling, said Sloan. That ought to do it. Thanks very much. So I don't know what the note says, though. Yeah, I wish they told us the note. Huh. Okay. Next one's out of England slash New York. Those are not the same place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a big difference. A new commercial aircraft speed record. British Airways flies across Atlantic in less than five hours. Going, it went from New York to Great Britain to England. For the first time in years, a commercial passenger plane has flown across the Atlantic in less than five hours. Wow. A British airline, Airways flight landed early Sunday morning at Heathrow Airport in London after leaving John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York just four hours and 56 minutes earlier. That set a new speed record for subsonic or slower than the speed of sound commercial air cla- aircraft to fly between the two cities. The previous record was held by a Norwegian air flight, which... Uh, flew between the two cities with a flight time of 5 hours and 13 minutes. The flight had been expected to take 102 minutes longer. Whoa. The recent average flight between New York and London is 6 hours and 13 minutes, according to Flight Radar 24. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! So why can't they always do that? How are they that off in their estimation of the time it would take? It's like the pilot just gunned it. <laughs> He's like, I'm going for this. So. Yeah, I don't even know. I guess I didn't know the planes even had the capacity I to increase that. Maybe some wind much. issues as well, maybe. Yeah, that's a good point. Clearly, we're out of our skis. But clearly, he could go faster or go slower, <laughs> depending on how. That's fascinating. All right, next one's out of Illinois. Woman accused of running QVC of stolen clothes is sentenced on theft charge. Authorities believe an East St. Louis, Illinois woman with a history of theft cases against her ran an online boutique out of her basement where she was selling stolen merchandise. 
Now, 29-year-old Twana Trotter is behind bars after pleading guilty in a separate 2018 stealing case at a Walmart in Chesterfield, Missouri. On Thursday, Trotter pleaded guilty and was sentenced to four years in prison. Investigators say Trotter was hit most of all, uh, hit most of all the retail areas in Chesterfield, Missouri, just across the Mississippi River from East St. Louis. Sergeant Keith Ryder of the Chesterfield Police Department said investigators found roughly $20,000 worth of stolen merchandise in Trotter's East St. Louis home. You filthy criminals. It is gutsy to go and sell it. Yeah, I mean, I guess what else are you going to do? But yeah, good point. That is sort of like, hey, look at me. Here I am. Twenty thousand. Man, that's a lot. Still tags on this. <laughs> like it says where the store was from. California high-speed pursuit suspect escapes police in taxi. Police released surveillance video on Friday of a suspect who led authorities on a high-speed chase on Southern California streets last month and escaped in a taxi. The L.A. Police Department released surveillance video showing the suspect evading police after the pursuit. The pursuit, which happened January 31st, involved a a suspected stolen vehicle. The chase began in downtown Los Angeles and made its way through the 134, the 210, and the 605 freeways. The dark-colored Honda was seen driving erratically, weaving in and out of traffic at speeds upwards of 100 miles per hour. The chase ended at the Commerce Casino, where the driver abandoned the vehicle and walked into the building with other guests. Video then shows the suspect make his way out of the building where a taxi cab was parked outside. The suspect gets into the back seat and leaves moments later. <laughs> He's gradually getting away, Chief. I always kind of wondered if that, because it's been depicted in movies before. Yeah. That was an impressive move by the guy. <laughs> This next one's a tearjerker you're going to read. Oh, I read, this, I read no. this article earlier today. Oh, in a good way. All right, California man cashes out his 401k to pay $45,000 for surgery to save his dog's life. Oh, my goodness. A California man cashed out his 401k and dug into his life savings in order to pay forty-five grand for surgery to save his dog's life. Lola isn't just a miniature schnauzer. She's my world. Dog mm-hmm. owner Jason, Jason Garrett said in a recent YouTube video, the 12-year-old pup was recently diagnosed with mitral, 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 valve disease? mitral valve disease, which affects her lungs and heart. The condition affects millions. There's the most common heart issues for dogs. The veterinarian gave Lola about eight to nine months to live. Oh, my gosh. After doing some research, Garrett said he learned about a specialized surgery that has an 85 to 90% success rate and will reportedly add years to Lola's life. The canine uh, open-heart surgery created by Japanese doctor Masami... Yuki has a hefty price tag of $45,000. I've already cashed out my 401k and used every penny of my savings, Garrett told KGO TV, and I'm also looking into selling my car if need be. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. Then at the end, you see he created the GoFundMe page that already raised $47,000. That so there is you go, amazing. People. That's a heartwarming one. Oh, I'm glad we ended on that note. Ending on a high note. Well, Absolutely. we're glad that you joined us today. Join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.